Hacking the Hustle, everyone. This is your host, Benji Sklar. Really excited to have my friend Joey Whippled on the podcast. What's up, Joey? What's up? What's up? Nothing much. Uh, just having a good day here in Texas. Very nice. So a little background on Joey. Joey is currently getting a PhD at Texas A&M in biomedical engineering, and he's also working for the Department of Defense in their biotech group, specifically their sensors and electronic devices, Vectoriate. And (laughs) Joey and I grew up together. He's a really sharp guy. And now I want to have him on the podcast because I feel like he's at the forefront of the battle against the, the coronavirus and other viruses that are facing us in the future. So I'd love to just start off, Joey, with what's it like for you to be getting a PhD in biomedical engineering and working for the Department of Defense with the coronavirus going on right now? Well, uh, yeah, it's getting a PhD in biomedical engineering, as one can imagine, it's, uh, you know, it's a lot of hard work, a lot of long hours, a lot of project planning and uh, running experiments. Um, you know, working with the Department of Defense has facilitated some of that, that uh, they have, you know, excellent state-of-the-art facilities that are made available for me to use. They have excellent funding for, uh, you know, propelling the projects forward. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's, it's a really good symbiotic relationship. I think um, that the relationship started kind of happened chance that they needed someone with my skill set. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm feeling a void that they currently, um, I guess, were looking to move into. And specifically, that void is high throughput screening systems. And that's what uh, I, my lab here and what specifically myself specialize in. And so what that means is it's like, we use microfluidics or tiny fluided channels and uh, even sometimes droplet microfluidics where these mini bioreactors, kind of like nanovesicles, you can call them, that you put stuff in them and you're able to screen these, the contents for whatever biochemical reactions on the fly. And so why is that important for, you know, in in medicine or in in, in the Department of Defense? I'll I'll address the medicine first. Uh, Right now, typical benchtop uh, techniques, even when you get into the more sophisticated stuff like robot, robotic pipetting, it lacks the ability to run to, to run this drug discovery and compound discovery at a uh, at a, the needed throughput. You know, for for example, in our current uh, pandemic, what we're seeing is that you know people are getting uh, getting infected with SARS-CoV-2. They're becoming healthy again, and um, you know people have started to talk about plasma treatment, harvesting their, you know, B cells or lymphocytes that have this neutralizing antibody in it and um, kind of just whole injecting it into newly infected people and patients. Um, and so what I've developed is a system, uh, it's called Prescient, uh, Platform for the Rapid Evaluation of Antibody Success Using Integrated Microfluidics Enabled Technology. It's a mouthful um, that can screen for these neutralizing antibodies at an unprecedented speed. And um, now, why is that important for the Department of Defense is that they have many different applications in which they would like to screen different, whether it's cell candidates or, um, you know, for whatever applications they're looking for. And they, they, they need this screening to happen, you know, on a scale of millions to tens of millions to hundreds of millions, which if you're, you know, a typical benchtop scientist, it could take someone working around the clock 54 years as opposed to you run it through one of these devices and it takes a couple of days. Okay, I want to stop you there. You said a lot of things that I did not understand, a lot of okay. buzzwords that went over my head. So talk to me like I'm a five-year-old. Okay. Let's start um, with what is the coronavirus? What is a okay. virus? And how yeah, so, so, so a virus is 
you know, essentially it's, you wouldn't classify it as a living thing. It's not like a bacteria that, you know, survives on its own. So a virus needs a host, similar to a parasite. Uh, so in, for coronavirus, what that is, is a, um, you know, it's a special RNA virus. There's many classifications of viruses. Um, some common RNA viruses is, you know, influenza. So it's very, it's probably you would describe it as like the cousin to the common flu, maybe even closer, like sister or brother. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, as you know, the word corona means uh, Latin crown. Uh, you've probably seen a lot of these 3D representations of the virus. It has a, it's called crown virus, coronavirus, because the outer coating is filled with these kind of spiky horns, we can call them, that look like a crown. Hmm. Um, and, and those are the actual spike proteins that are used, that the virus uses to get into uh, a host cell, mm-hmm. which, you know, is, could be a lung cell, could be a, a nasal epithelial cell. Mm-hmm. Something of this sort. And where, what, when was the first coronavirus created? What creates the virus? Um, well, this virus is probably a host to host when it jumps zoonotically uh, between animals. Uh, you know, viruses, especially RNA viruses, are susceptible to uh, mutations, point mutations, where they kind of just recombinate, uh, they change a little bit. And so that this virus is probably just, you know, a mutated past coronavirus that we've seen and that mutated in such a way that it, you know, made it very uh, highly contagious, highly infective. Mm-hmm. So that, that's what most likely happened here. Uh, again, mm-hmm. I'm just speculating. I'm yeah. an engineer and not a virologist. But mm-hmm. So people who are at the, fr- the scientists who are trying to f- discover a cure for this, what are they working on? What are the tough questions that they're facing right now? Okay. Yeah. So, um, so there's two, two ways to approach that, right? There's treating the infection and preventing the infection. Um, I think everyone in science agrees that treating the infection is going to be the easiest kind of first step. You know, what, can we come up with drugs, especially if there's any, you know, you've probably heard of hydrochloroquine, it's on the news. If there's any already approved drugs that can kind of help mitigate the uh, symptoms. Uh, there's some other candidates out there and that's probably what's going to happen well before a vaccine. I'm thinking maybe in the next six months, they'll have, you know, approved drugs that are labeled and marketed for um, treating coronavirus, COVID-19. Mm-hmm. Then the next is you would actually want to prevent this infection. You know, vaccine uh, is what you're looking at there. And there's many different types of um, vaccines, you know, approaches to how to uh, develop them. And you, I think the closest bet is going to be this neutralizing antibody therapy is actually harvesting neutralizing antibody and generating your vaccine, your immunotherapeutic from that. I and, understand that. Yeah. What is okay. A <laughs> okay. So it's a vaccine is just, it's a drug that you would prime your body with kind of just inject it. And it's sometimes it could be something as simple as you take the virus and you beat it up a little bit. So it's weakened. And then you inject that into your system. And with the end goal of any vaccine is just to get your body primed for producing the right B cell, the right neutralizing cell that produces antibodies to combat this virus. And so like a lot of times it is just like a weakened uh, viral strain that they put into your body. Um, All what the goal is, these viruses have antigens, which are just like little receptors on the surface that the body will read and then, reactive they'll create these neutralizing antibodies and every vaccine's goal is to prime your body in such a way prepare your body so that it sees that 
antigen, that receptor, and then creates these B cells for that receptor. Mm -hmm. And so that way, when, if you do come in contact with the real virus, you know, your body will have had that memory B cell in it, and it's mm -hmm. able and capable of defending your, you know, defending yourself. Got it. What do, what do you see as the timeline until we actually have a vaccine in the mass market? I'd say 18 months. And who's going who's gonna to make it? Um, like, wait, which company? Which, yeah, which company, which country? Um, I've, I've seen a, a couple kind of leaders. There's certain cool ones like Inovio um, has a, a DNA vaccine that's in the market. Uh, I know, and I forget the name, it's slipping. There's an Israeli company that probably, yeah, is it Gilead? Is that what yeah, you Gilead, that's what I meant. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They, uh, they're probably, Gilead is probably the, I would say if you're betting, mm -hmm. that's who I put my money on. And there's some other smaller people, but yeah, Gilead's powerful. Uh, um, they're, they're kind of drug discovery, compound discovery department, and they're top notch. Mm -hmm. And so let's change topics. So that's not actually what you work on day to day. You're not working on no. the coronavirus. You're working no. on, so let's, let's change to what you're actually working on. Yeah. Okay. You explain it to me in a 30 second elevator pitch. Okay, it's it's a device, an actual credit card size device that you you know this platform that you run these experiments on super rapidly with these nanobioreactors. And what I do is I put a single cell inside one of those nanobioreactors, and it'll do a whole bunch of other automated steps uh, that I've engineered into this platform. And then your end result is neutralized cells, cells that are not infected. And then what you is you recover that entire antibody-rich population and begin your drug discovery from that. Is that better? Okay, yeah, I have a much better idea of, of what okay. you're doing. So why is that important? Because current technology doesn't allow for, in, in realistic timelines, it, it's just it's a bottleneck. It takes too much time to find these compounds, to find these targets. Mm -hmm. um, and what I'm doing is I, I make these... You know, I think Dr. Fauci said there are a bunch of high-throughput systems, and we've been in this field for about six years, um, high-throughput screening systems that can run maybe a million experiments a day. Mm -hmm. So if you're trying to think of a normal research, a normal scientist trying to use a benchtop pipette and traditional table, I mean, you can maybe do 10 to 20 of these assays or experiments a day, as opposed to, you know, now that we have this automated microfluidic system that's running a million in a day. Uh, you can imagine your chances of discovering something just went up exponentially. Mm -hmm. Wow. So give me an example of who would use your product. Um, so right now we are, we are gearing towards uh, COVID SARS CoV-2 studies. Uh, we just got like our uh, university approvals. And so what we do is we, we run the same experiment where we put in a, you know, we take someone's blood, uh, some, we, uh, purify it for the lymphocytes, for the antibody-producing cells, and we run it through the platform, and we challenge it with virus, and we try to pick out the ones that are neutralizing. Um, and that, that's going to be important, because once we have that neutralizing antibody, um, there's a lot of other questions that can be asked uh, that will provide important information, but I think the main goal for a lot of people is getting this neutralizing antibody. Got it. So let me explain it back to you. You take someone's blood, yeah. you purify it somehow, you put it on your credit card disc that you've designed, and then yeah. you you inf you throw viruses at you throw 
antibodies at the at the blood or you throw no you throw viruses at the blood and then yeah. you see you see which antibodies purify or actually cure the virus and then you can take out those antibodies and then turn those into drugs yeah that's 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 exactly it um because these antibody producing cells will generate produce you know antibodies in these bioreactors these nano bioreactors and we're talking on the size of like 100 microns in diameter. Think of a little ball, this 100 microns, which is like maybe a half the thickness of your hair. Mm-hmm. So these are really, really tiny, tiny uh, bioreactors that we're generating. Got it. And, and this is, you're not only going to do this for the coronavirus, but for the hundreds of other diseases that exist in the world? Yeah, diseases. You could do it for, you know, easy, even like if you wanted to find out uh, – biofuel production and you have an algae cell and you have a bunch of different algae cells and you only want to get the top 10 producing, uh, you know, bioethanol, you would run it through this device, you'd take all the, you know, the high producers. And then from there you would develop your guys, your library of algae cells that now are super powered. Mm-hmm. Wow. And, so who else is doing this? Uh, so this field is called drop. It's a subset. So we have lab on a chip is like the top. And, you know, as you can imagine, the name is you're trying to miniaturize any lab experiments, any lab techniques onto a chip, a device. Um, and then and there's microfluidics, just tiny fluidic channels. Um, and then in this is where the device I'm talking about is called droplet microfluidics. It's an, a two-phase emulsion. Just, you know, you, it's the way you create these uh, nano bioreactors. And so there's probably about, I'd say, like, five... To five to ten strong groups out there, groups being research labs. Uh, and then there's a couple, there's several commercial entities, but they, they're not, there's only one company that's currently in the same field, and uh, they're in Germany. Mm-hmm. Got it. So are you doing this with your PhD program or the Department of Defense? Started with my PhD program, and then the Department of Defense kind of saw, oh, wow, this is a very powerful system. Do you think it would work on X, 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 Y, and Z, uh, you know, mm-hmm. miniaturizations? And I was like, yeah. And they're like, okay. So that's what I do. Whenever I, I go there, one, I'm setting up the lab because they're traditional, more microbiology. And so they need more of the engineering components and actual physical equipment that mm-hmm. we have down here. And so we're ordering that and that's get that set up. But uh, you, well, my main, I guess, work will be there's maybe seven or eight ongoing projects and it's try to get all those onto an automated chip system. Wow. Sounds fascinating to say the least. Do you feel like um, you're at the forefront of like the, the newest trends in the department of defense's chemical department, like biotech group? Yeah. um, I think, I think a lot of people, there's a lot of really, really crazy cool work being done in Mm -hmm. so many different diverse fields. And the good thing is like the, um, the facility is kind of, it's just more than just the biotech group. So, you, you know, you kind of can listen in and uh, um, whenever they have open presentations, see all the cool stuff that's being done in robotics and, uh, mm. you know, all sorts of defense projects. Yeah. What's it like to work for the Department of Defense? It, it's pretty cool. Um, you know, it's a, I think it does fall into, you know, a lot of people say like government works some things that shouldn't take as long, like approvals and whatnot. Uh, they, they take longer, you know, change the mm-hmm. command has to go through a lot of people's hands and desks and signatures. Um, 
the positives that are, you know, the funding is great. Uh, there's almost, you know, that's almost never a barrier to when if you need supplies. Uh, yes. and, and, you know, they really value the scientists there and engineers. Uh, mm-hmm. I think that's more important. They, they do really care about, you know, developing that cutting edge technology. Yeah. Is the biotech group a team of 10 or 10,000? It's small. It's, I think now it's 30 wow. people. Wow. Yeah. So yeah, congrats, it's pretty small. congrats for yeah, joining yeah. that. It's yeah. really challenging. So let's look ahead. What's the few after the coronavirus? What what's next? What how are we going to better prepare for the next coronavirus? And even talking about military warfare when it comes to using chemical agents, how is your team thinking about this? Yeah, so again, yeah, biowarfare is definitely an application for screening. Uh, you know, that's been one question posed is can we develop a platform so that we can take soil samples or air samples, screen them before, you know, we deploy soldiers into a certain area so that we know what pathogens are out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, yeah, that's definitely an ongoing area of study. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of, I, I think a lot of things will probably change in society because of the coronavirus. I think, you know, handshaking, special attention being paid to uh, not touching your face as much, maybe, you know, regular decontamination of things like cell phones, which, you know, I'd really never done until this whole thing started. Now, at least twice a day, find myself like wiping down my phone. Uh, It was pretty interesting, you know, just slight changes to life as we know it but you know for the better and, and it's good it's like you know we, we probably were just spreading tons of germs and you know for the common person it's not going to impact you that much but for you know that immuno immunocompromised person you could potentially unknowingly be killing a lot of people or a yeah. couple people a year and so that's uh just a good thing to keep yeah what uh what made you interested in getting into this world i remember you in high school were a star lacrosse player who was like a typical bro, and now here you are as a scientist. Uh, for, for, so, what's the? Tell me how you've adapted and changed to uh, put on your your this scientific hat. Yeah. So I think uh, um, you know everyone matures a little bit as they go on, but uh, specifically what for me was in my last two years, and then that six months in between grad school and uh, when I got my bachelor's, I was working at you know for the Started at a rice, and uh, I had a really, really cool mentor, Glenn, and he kind of he introduced me to this whole world. And then beyond this, he was like, "Hey, you know, you don't just stop here. Look at what else you might be interested in." And uh, it was really him. He 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 really, you know, propelled my mm-hmm. desire to get into this field and work hard. And you know, he gave me he told me straight up how it was. You know, it's a lot of work. There's some reward. Um, you know every once in a while you'll get to a point where you're like, Oh man, I'm being appreciated. And then it's a lot more like, Oh man, I'm it's 4 a.m. and I'm still in lab. This, this mm-hmm. really sucks. But you know, that's, I can, that's just the way it is. Yeah. What, uh, there's this guy named Peter Thiel who I heard him say in his interview, he asked people, what's the truth that you, th- that you believe that the, the mass market doesn't something like an insight that you think is true that others think is untrue. Dude, what do you think? Good. That's good. That's good. It's putting on the spot here. I, let me think about this for a little bit of uh, for a minute. 
or apply to... apply it to the coronavirus. What is something that you hear on the news that people are saying is true, but you know that that's not happening? The coronavirus. Um, I mean, I, I don't know if a lot of people don't believe it. Uh, I'm maybe particularly more sensitive to it that I see a lot of non-scientists uh, trying to tout their scientific knowledge in ways that just, you know, don't make any sense to me. And they're quite frankly, very irresponsible, you know, uh, specifically saying certain remedies, certain drugs are going to work um, when, you know, there's just no backing for it. Uh, you know, the, the science is always operating in a very meticulous, systematic manner. Some sure can take a lot longer, but it's the good thing is it's preparing for certainty, right? We want to be, 99% sure, 99.999% sure this is going to happen mm-hmm. X amount of times. And, and uh, I think a lot of people are kind of trying to undercut that in recent events to, you know, take shortcuts. And as scientists, you know, there's virtually, I mean, there's some ways to make your life easier, but taking shortcuts is never in the long run the way to go. Mm-hmm. Okay. What, when I talk to people, I, we all we're, we're talking about how in July we're, everything's going to go back to normal and it's going to pick up. Is that uh, ridiculous to believe, or do you think there is some credibility to that? I think there's credibility to that. I've always been, you know, I, I definitely agree with social distancing, physical distancing uh, aspect that that's the most convenient way, or not convenient, but the most effective way right now. I do think once treatments are coming out, drugs for treating symptoms, uh, people are wearing masks now. You know, I, I, I do think, by July, we should, as a country and, you know, as a community, individual, because it's a really big community by community basis, everyone should be prepared to and ready to implement whatever strategies so that we can open up the economy again, people can get back to work and still be safe, right? Like, even if that means wearing a mask now for, if you go out, you know, even if it's just grocery shopping, just always wear a mask. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, there's going to be small sacrifices. I, I don't think July is a too much of a stretch i think you know there it'll be interesting to see what kind of travel restrictions are placed um mm-hmm. and whatnot but i i thought you know i was like okay yeah, by the end of april we should be open we'll see if june if it mildly opens you know what i mean i think they all they will be doing it in phases kind of small beginning and kind of opening mm-hmm. up but it, is the purpose of a mask not only to touch your face but to actually prevent the flow of of yeah does it work like that yeah so so it really does help you not touch your face um mm-hmm. well you not touch your face in the critical areas like your mouth your nose your eyes are still pretty open so mm-hmm. keep that in mind um i mean i think for everyone it's just good practice to not be rubbing your eyes with dirty hands regardless mm-hmm. of the coronavirus from Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the masks are really good for, especially, you know, surgical masks and just cloth masks at keeping anything that comes out of your mouth or nose to yourself. It's not, you know, I think unless you have the N95s or the, you know, better than those, you're just not going to really prevent virus from coming in. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I do think coronavirus, you know, your main danger here is going to be communication. It's going to mm-hmm. be like these talking or coughing or sneezing spread mm-hmm. you know i i really need would, would like to see the more done just to tell us like you know how is it living on surfaces or aerosol if it's really just staying in the air for hours at a time that's mm-hmm. really unsure you know a lot of these studies they stop their end point is do can they detect amounts of rna 
Um, and so they're kind of just saying, is it there as opposed to, is it there and can it affect you, infect you? Um, which is, I think, you know, obviously the more clinically relevant question is that, mm-hmm. is, is it there and can it infect you? Mm-hmm. Interesting. But it's just, it's just too quick. They yeah. need more time. So who are three people that you recommend w- that we follow? Who are thought leaders in the space? Obviously you got Fauci, but who are other people that people don't know about that you think are leaders, experts in the field? Yeah. Um, and Fauci, Bill Gates. Uh, I need to think of one more. I mean, I know. I would say in just technology and innovative thinking, a great person would be Steve Jobs. I always you know, read his pen, but you know, unfortunate. Um. So let me think one more. There's, there's... In regards specifically for learning about what's going on with the coronavirus. Like, okay. <clears throat> Okay, I mean, everyone's, um, okay, well, a, a local person for me would be Dr. Julian Lebowitz. He's a collaborator, and he's kind of the, one of the go-to people for coronaviruses in uh, Texas, and he's a personal, also, project mentor for me, and he's, mm-hmm. you know, just one of the most knowledgeable people I, I've ever met. Yeah, well, all right, so before I let you go, Joey, what are your, some last words? Uh, no, no, nothing really of substance. Just as you know, it's got great to chat with you. It's great to see your face. It's been a you know a long while. I'm yeah. I see you're hanging out and staying safe in New York area, right? New, yep. New York State. How the how's you know your surroundings? I mean, I'm here in Long Island, so okay. it's on the news. It's terrible, but in day to day, it's fine. You have your you have your house. You got your backyard. I don't have. I don't deal with anyone unless I go to the grocery store and sure, yeah. And that's it. I feel like that's the same story for the millions of other people, Americans out there. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I think it's good. You know, we still have a little bit of freedom. Everyone's, compl- you know, complaining about, oh, stay at home. This is so hard. I mean, I, my parents retired and they, they now live in Spain and they've been on lock, complete lockdown for four weeks now, going on to five, where, you know, you can leave the house to walk your dog. They don't have a dog. You can leave the house to take trash out once a week and that's it. Wow. Um, yeah, and they're going stir crazy. But, you know, again, everyone's staying healthy and yeah. they're making it, doing what you have to do. Mm-hmm. Awesome, Joey. All right, well, I really appreciate you have on the podcast. This is awesome. I, you're the first science-related person I've had on the podcast, and I feel like people can get some value out of this from hearing what you had to say. Yeah. Well, I had a great time. Yeah, see you, Joey. Good luck all on right. that, all right? Later, Benji. Yeah, we will.